Parenting is a full-time job, and providing effective support for today's teens can be challenging. The Parent Engage 360 podcast aims to provide connections and information from experts in the fields of chemical health, mental health, internet safety, and more. It's a comprehensive view on parenting, provided in a personal, convenient format. Tune in to today's episode of the Parent Engage 360 podcast series. Hello and welcome to the Parent Engage 360 podcast. I'm Liz Burgard, the Parent Involvement Coordinator. Bullying is a topic that arises and is often not easy to discuss as parents. As parents or guardians, we may not know whether it is supporting our child, what are the right questions to ask, or who to talk to in our schools for help. In today's episode, Britt Olin, the district school social worker, and Mary Kling, assistant principal of Compass Programs, will be joining us to share their insights on kindness, anti-bullying, discipline, and much more. Mary and Britt, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having us, Liz. We're excited to be here. Yeah, thank you. This will be a great day. Britt, before we dive into the podcast, can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. I am Britt Oline, currently the district social worker for Anoka Hennepin Schools. Previous to this role, I was at Wilson Elementary as the school social worker there. Um, and I love all things social work and elementary education and now district-wide education. So I'm super excited to be here and share some of the things that I've learned in my role as a social worker and supporting families and listeners with helping their students in the district. Thank you. And Mary, how about you? Tell us a little bit about what it means to be the assistant principal of Compass Programs. Yeah, so my official title is Assistant Principal of Compass Programs Overseeing Elementary Discipline and Conduct. It's quite a mouthful. My job is very (laughs) interesting. I've been in this role for the past four years. Prior to that, I was a special ed supervisor and an EBD teacher by trade. So really, I have a passion for helping kids um, when something happens, be able to fix that, correct the mistake, and really learn from it so that we can change our behavior to move forward as a productive member of the community. Uh, I just really appreciate both of you being here with just just the expertise and knowledge that you both have in in your in your line of work, but then how all you also both work together to support our students and our staff and our community. So thank you again for being here today. Britt, can you tell the audience or the people that are listening what it means to be a social worker and what is the role of a social workers in Anoka Hennepin? Yeah, absolutely. I think I look at the role of a school social worker as a support person in the building who really breaks down barriers for students when we think about them being able to sit in a classroom and engage academically, right? So any barriers they might face um, at home, in the community, or in school. And it looks a little different. Um, Social workers kind of partner with a lot of different stakeholders when we think about one student, right? So they might work directly with a student and helping them increase their social skills, their focus, problem solving, some friendship skills, whatever is kind of contained in their emotional and social well-being so that they're able to be in the classroom. Uh, Social workers can also partner and work with families in supporting families in their child's development and some skills at home that uh, families can be working on so that their students successful at school. But more than that, connecting families to resources in the community to kind of bridge some of those unmet needs. 
Um, a lot of our students in Anoka Hennepin um, are qualify under McKinney Vento, which is our kind of definition for encompassing students and families who are homeless. And so helping families with those basic needs, whether it's food, housing, clothing, and other various resources. Um, and then they're also support for our staff as well. And they do some training and in-service for staff in their buildings when it comes to learning about, you know, mental health, trauma, and how that might impact students in their building, being mandated reporters and things like that. So the social work role in a school is multifaceted. We wear a lot of different hats. And I always say nothing is off limits, right? Feel free to ask me if I'm not able to help. I will come up with a resource or reach out to someone else to connect you to get your needs met. I, I think the point that you made about a social worker in many different hats is so true. Like all the things that you just mentioned and other things that come up each and every day, because we know that social workers really are supporting the whole student and making sure that the student has what they need to learn each day. And that can be a lot of different things. And so I think you did a really great job of showing some of the things that social workers do, but they really do carry a lot of the other things that um, other school staff aren't able to do. Mary, in relation to what Britt was just mentioning, um, your position and your role really supports discipline within our school district. And how do you partner with social workers or how do you work together to, to really support students and families when there are bigger things that come up that social workers or principals or maybe school staff need extra support with? Yeah, so I'm in a really unique position where I get to interact with really all administrators and staff across the district as in all of our communities and families as well. So I partner a lot with all of the school social workers. Oftentimes I might get involved in situations and say, who could really help in this situation to build skills and really support families, staff, and the student both in and out of the community. So a lot of what I do is come in to support, problem solve, and help to build the gap that might be happening to make sure we're really consistent across all of our buildings at the elementary and really system-wide. We wanna make sure that when behavior happens, which we know as humans, we have behavior, that we take action because it's really important that we do have that follow through across our system. And then we also work to build skills because we are an educational service. What we do is we teach kids. We have to role mm -hmm. model. We have to make sure that we're working together. So we have to have a really strong partnership and collaboration with families because that's where kids spend most of their day. And we know that parents hear things differently than school staff. And how do we bridge that gap to say, how do we support together? And luckily we do have social workers in all of our buildings where we can say, hey, here's another safe person that can help with some of those skill building pieces because they are someone who has a unique set of skills that is beyond or different than what some of us that have been in education for a long time might bring to the table. I think that's a really great point that it takes a village to really support the whole child. And at some point in, in student education, sometimes they don't need any extra support. And sometimes we need your, your kid needs all of the extra support. So just knowing that there's multiple people in each of our schools that can really support your child and support you as a parent when you are going through the hard things, because as we know, parenting can be and is hard oftentimes. 
Yeah. And I think, you know, families don't know unless they ask or, you know, you don't know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. And so having relationships that you as a member of the family can reach out to the school and say, hey, this is going on. Is there um, any supports at school or do you know of anything else that can help to kind of bridge some of those needs? And I think that relationship and the engagement is really helpful in supporting students. And like Mary said, the the collaboration and team approach that happens in the buildings is really phenomenal. So the consistency goes a long way, right? Mm-hmm. And we have a lot of behind the scenes things that happen that unfortunately families don't necessarily get to see or experience. But in order for all the wheels to really keep turning in our system, we have to make sure that all of the pieces are in alignment with the work that we do. And really families are a part of that to say, if you have a question or something's coming up, how do we work together? Because we have all students, regardless of what age level, their brain isn't fully developed. And how do we make sure that we as adults work together to model what those are both in and out of school to make sure that we're on the same page, giving the same message. And I think that's so important just that we're on the same page and giving the same message, whether our kids do spend a lot of time at school, but they also spend a lot of time at home. So how can we make sure as adults that we're providing our students with all the support that they need? One of the things that you mentioned, Mary, which I think kind of wraps into our nice, our next question nicely is that we are doing a lot of things district-wide to really support all of our students. And one of the things recently that students were able to participate in is our annual kindness poster contest, which just we wrapped up um, this last week. And so, Britt, I was just uh, hoping that you could share a little bit more about this project and how, as a school district, we're really trying to um, make sure that kindness and safe and welcoming schools are our number one priority. And that's one thing that we are doing district-wide, which is kind of a fun thing that I know students and staff look forward to each year. Yes. So I just was able and honored to host the 19th annual kindness poster contest. And this year's theme was there is power in kindness. And so each school building has the opportunity to participate in the poster contest. And each student can design a poster encompassing the theme, there is power and kindness. And then at the building level, they vote for grade level winners. And then the grade level winners come to the district. And then the district is able to view all the posters. This year, we had 150 posters. And we had staff at the district office come to vote. And so we selected 10 winning posters for this year. And so they will, students will be recognized and winning posters will be uh, recreated. So each building will have a set of the 10 winning posters to display. And it's a really, it's a really fun, cool way. And to see the creativity of the students in our district is really kind of overwhelming. Uh, but really beautiful. And I think um, Anoka Hennepin has these core values of um, respect, responsibility, appreciation of diversity, integrity, and compassion. And we know that kindness lives at the bottom of all of those values, right? So this is just another way to highlight how kindness is represented and displayed throughout our district. And Liz, you make a really good point that we, our ultimate goal and my goal as a social worker is that 
students feel safe and welcome in our schools. And so a lot of what we can do to support that is through kindness. And so, yeah, it was really fun to be a part of this project. I'm excited. Uh, winning posters will be recognized at a school board meeting in January, and there'll be some communication coming out about those posters and what they look like. So be uh, scrounging the website to find to find those out. We have some really amazing artists in our district as well. Yeah, it's phenomenal. <laughs> Wonderful. It was yeah. very cool. Kind of the flip side of that, I know a lot of times schools hang them up. They have the 10 posters that win. And I know at one of the elementary schools that I'm supporting, they hung up all of the posters in their hallways. So it's just like a beautiful thing when you walk in the building and you see this artwork of all of the students, just it reminds you like I being a kind person is ultimately the thing that we all need to do each and every day. However, we know sometimes that bullying does happen and that sometimes as humans, we don't always make the best choices. So Mary, can you tell the audience a little bit what bullying is and how it is defined in our schools? Yeah, and I think there's a difference between being unkind and the word bullying. The word bullying is a really big term mm -hmm. and it's really technical. So I think often we're throwing it around without really knowing what the definition is. So if we talk about the technical term of it, bullying is unwanted aggressive behavior among school-aged children that involves a real or perceived power imbalance. The behavior is repeated over time and is, is aggressive, which includes one of two things, an imbalance of power. It has to include both. So such as physical harm, so physical strength, embarrassing information, popularity. So someone has more power than the other person. And then it happens more than once. So making threats, spreading rumors, attacking someone physically or verbally, and realizing that there is also an age factor in that. So developmentally, what does that really look like for a five-year-old mm -hmm. versus somebody who's 12 or somebody who's 18? That can really be something that's very different. The real key words that I would look to focus in on would be repeated, unwanted, persistent behavior with an imbalance of power. So hurting someone on purpose, and you have more power than them. Repeat it over time. It's a really big definition that sometimes we have a hard time wrapping our head around. And anytime that bullying gets reported, we want to make sure that we are following a process because we want students' voices to be heard. We want families' voices to be heard. And then how do we both support the student who it's happening to? And then on the flip side of it, how do we support to make sure that the student who may have done the bullying doesn't do it again? What I was going to say is kind of reiterate what you had mentioned. Like, I, I think we as humans kind of combine, I'm being unkind. And then that means you're being a bully, but there is a definition of bullying and, and you're both of your worlds and the work that you do is kind of teasing that out to mean, what does that mean? And what is actually bullying and what is someone being unkind? So I think that those, those things that you look for, the repeated, unwanted and balance of power are really important things to think about when we're talking about bullying or being unkind and how we can even talk to our own kids about that. In either of your roles, if a child came to you um, and said that they were being bullied, whether it was a staff person or as a parent perspective, what would you recommend a parent do? And I know it might be different at the elementary level and the high school level, but what are some things that maybe I could do as a parent if my kid came to me and said, I'm being bullied by so-and-so and here's what that looks like? Yeah, I think the first step is communicating it to the school, right? And letting them know. Um, and you could communicate that to any person 
And we have a protocol at Anoka Hennepin that that is uh, that that needs to be followed up on, right? So if a student reports to me or a parent reports to me, then I'm going to the principal or assistant principal at my building and giving the report to them so that they're able to follow up and investigate what happened and then also determine did this meet the definition of bullying and then follow up with consequences. But Mary probably has a way more technical answer for you. (laughs) I don't know that it's more technical, but I think the piece that we get reported (laughs) often is it might be somebody was unkind to my child or somebody bullied my child at recess. And then we have lots of follow-up questions. So really what I would say to parents, and I have children in the system at elementary school too, is to say, get really specific information from your child because when it's fresh in our mind, we're going to get better information. Knowing that if your child's coming home and telling you at five o'clock at night that we're not going to be able to circle back to this until the next morning. And from what I know to be true about developmental with five, six, seven, eight, nine-year-olds, sometimes information is like, what did I, what did I do yesterday? Did I go to school? So it can be really hard to tease that out. So any information that you can get that's really specific is going to be important for us to be able to follow up because we do have to complete an investigation where it is, where did it happen? What was said? Who else might have been there so that we can make sure we're following up with other parties to make sure that we're really doing a comprehensive investigation to provide supports and follow through on it. So making sure you also support your child to say, I'm really sorry that happened to you. We're going to make sure that we follow up at school, know that adults care about you and you are supported. And if it is something where your child's feeling like maybe they don't want to come to school or they're fearful, making sure to reassure them and even having that conversation together, calling and leaving a voicemail, sending an email to the teacher saying, hey, this is what happened at recess at lunch in class. Can you follow up on it? Billy's really kind of scared to come back to school. What is it that we can do to support and making sure they have an adult that they feel comfortable they can report to? That's really the key piece of that. Just empowering your kid to say, I can't be with you all the time. And here's Mm -hmm. what you can do because we want to make sure you're safe and the adults in the building are going to help. I think that is really important to to ask the questions. I know with my kids, sometimes they'll say something and then I'll try to ask a follow-up question and they are not always the best with their words or they kind of have moved on from the conversation of whatever we're talking about. So I do think it's important to what I've had to do in my house is like bring it up later at night or like before bedtime or when they're watching TV, when we're next to each other. So it's not like I'm like drilling them with the questions because they definitely don't like that. But to try to tease things out throughout the evening to try to get an idea of what the whole picture is because they're not always the best at telling me much of anything, let alone specific details of what happened. So I think asking those follow-up questions is really important. And sometimes it's really helpful on that to go and draw a picture, right? Sometimes we Mm -hmm. have kids that don't necessarily want to talk about it, or sometimes it's helpful to just be visual with them, to be like, so I heard it happened. Where were you standing? Some of those Mm -hmm. questions to help them actually visualize being there so then we can get a really clear picture, because sometimes we get... 15 different stories and we're like, what happened? That's right. <laughs> Let's actually talk through what happened. I love the idea of drawing a picture or knowing that you can tease it out and not having to be like, well, tell me exactly what happened, but it might just be like, let's draw a picture about it and kind of talk while they're drawing. I think is always another way to get things articulated and, and shared. 
so if, like you had mentioned, if we know that my child feels bullied and I'm going to call the school, I'm going to maybe email the teacher, talk to the principal, talk to the social worker, what are things that schools are doing to really support the, that child or maybe the child who is is bullying someone or being unkind to someone? What are we doing to really make sure that students do feel safe and are we're welcoming all students into our, our buildings? I think that's the exciting piece of our work. Sorry, Britt, I'm jumping right in because <laughs> a big part of our work, I think that we've moved forward in the last few years. I think COVID really took a hit on we're not together. We're all outside of school. What? I have to stand in line. I have to be friends with someone. I have to, right. be I have to share my things. So teachers and building administrators and really the community as a whole has come together to say, what is it that we're going to do to support students? So really the kindness poster is maybe the simplest form of what we say to say, let's create a kindness poster. What does this look like? And when we start to have conversations about that and we have common language, we're able to teach kids and model and practice what does that feel like? What does that sound sound like? What did you feel when that happened so that we can really start to identify? So really carving in that time in our day to talk about what it does it mean to be responsible and to be respectful and to be kind. And let's mm -hmm. actually practice some of those things in our morning meeting time. I know my girls come home from school and they're like, here's what we did during circle time this morning or examples like that where it, they start to make connections with other kids that maybe if a difference happens, they're able to communicate differently. So just building mm -hmm. some of those skills together. So really that positive, proactive language in school so that kids can identify and really advocate for themselves, even as early as five to say, I don't like that, please stop. So mm -hmm. that they can be the first line and really empowering them. Yeah, and I think there's some really powerful things happening around our schools with building some of that character where kindness is at the root of that. And we talk a lot about empathy, right? And how empathy creates kind communities. And we have focused at most all of our buildings about really building a community within their classroom that is supportive and looking out for one another and then expanding that to a building right? And then expanding that to our district. And so I think learning those skills of how do I be a good friend and how do I be a kind person in elementary school all the way up to middle school, I had a conflict and we're going to work through problem solving and some of the character development that happens at middle school around those things. Mm -hmm. So I think the learning never stops, right? And I, I tell students this all the time is that you know, as adults, we are still learning and growing, right? And so being able to reflect on things that happen and clean up, clean up messes and be able to move forward is just a part of life that you will continue to practice forever. Forever. Yep. That's what I have to tell my kids a lot too, where I, I try to role model and practice and we all make mistakes as human. And I say that to them, like, you know what, I still make mistakes and then I have to go back and apologize to people. Or I, I have to think through the things that I do as an adult and, and make changes in the way I talk or the, th the things I say to people. And it never changes. Like we're all human beings and we're all going to make mistakes. But as long as we can recognize that and be kind the next time and, and own up to what we did wrong, we're being better humans and making our world a better place. And I know they sometimes get sick of me being a broken record about it, but I feel like the more I can do it, the hopefully the more my kids can do it and so on. 
And we're thankful to be able to live in a world today and really in education to say that we have policies that are designed to give humans a second chance right. and to really learn from our mistakes and take some accountability for that. So there is action that's taken, but also everyone's redeemable. We have something mm -hmm. that happens and our job is to support and coach. There could be some consequences that are attached to that. And then what do we do coming back? Because kids are coming to school. Adults are going to work with their best selves. How do we just continue to improve on that as human beings? And I think the thing that I sometimes forget as an adult is that my children are children. And like we mentioned earlier, that their brains are not fully developed and they will not be developed until 25, if not later than that. And if I'm still making mistakes and my brain's probably fully developed, like they have a lot of learnings to do until they become that age. So I think it's just like you had said, continuing to have conversations and to know that it is, we are going to make mistakes. No one's perfect. And we'll come back and bounce back from that to be better off. I know we talked a little bit of, or talked about bullying, talked about un, being unkind. We talked about our kindness posters, but do you guys have examples or experiences in your work of students being upstanders or really supporting their peers in saying things like you said, Mary, like, I'm not comfortable with that. Please stop. Do you guys have any stories or aha moments that have happened to you in your educational journey? You know, we always want kids to be able to advocate for themselves, right? And um, some are further along on, on that journey than others. And it is cool to be able to watch students stick up for each other. I have been a part of some amazing restorative circles with students, like give you goosebumps. It makes like rainbows and butterflies. It is the coolest process. And it's exactly what we were talking about. Like a student makes a mistake, they get to get they get together and talk through what happened and then what happened from each person's perspective and how each person felt. And then to see those aha moments from students. And it's that that like reframe of, oh, I never knew that that's how you thought of it, or I never knew you felt that way. And so they're able to kind of work through. And I found that, Mary, I don't know if you agree or not, like 99% of it stems from misunderstandings or miscommunication, right? And so when we're able to get together and talk through it and clear up those miscommunications and misunderstandings, students really come out on the other side just better for it and and having cleaned up the mistakes and really joining together and and having students who were just in a conflict at recess be able to walk back to class together after having one of these conversations is is really amazing and you know i i'll say again i feel like i'm i feel like i'm a broken record in this conversation but adults even have a difficult time with those conversations right so mm -hmm. to see the courage and bravery in students being able to engage in those conversations work through conflict apologize and make a plan to move forward is incredible and recently i'll piggyback on that i think that so many of these things come up and unfortunately it's not what makes the news right we have so many situations where we have upstanders and that's not what people are talking about and to switch that narrative a little bit i think would be great um i read recently where it said aren't erasers the coolest thing you can erase your mistakes and then somebody said but only if you're willing to fix them and i think one of the things that we've really talked about especially at the elementary level but really k-12 or birth to 21 is how do we come together to say, if I'm perfect all the time and I don't make mistakes, 
I don't really understand what it feels like to be an upstander because I've, I've just been able to do everything. So really knowing that part of being human is making those mistakes as we consistently mm -hmm. say, but it's making the mistakes and then erasing it and trying again. So saying, I'm really sorry that that happened or listening to other people because know it or not, we as humans are really egocentric and especially our little humans are egocentric and outside of their world, they don't really understand until we do some of that perspective taking for them. Mm -hmm. And when we start to have those conversations, they start to understand, oh, I didn't think about it like that. That does make sense. And we can really put it in terms for them. We start to really see some of that growth. So there was a situation, sometimes when conflicts happen, we'll do something called the separation agreement for students at all levels. And what I always tell the kids and families is this isn't a, is in place until we determine it doesn't need to be anymore. That could be tomorrow. That could be never. There are people that we just don't feel like we mesh with. We are like oil mm -hmm. and water. And there are sometimes that we just need some time and space. I had a situation at one of the elementary buildings last year. It was the best thing ever. We met with the family. We met with the kid. The two kids met together and they said, nope, we're not ready to be friends. We need some time apart. They agreed to it. A week later, I got an email from the principal and she said, well, at this point, they're ready to be friends again. What do you think? And I said, great, let's have the conversation. And they became really, really great friends. And there was a situation that happened on the playground. There's a big hill. It was wintertime and the snow. And they were starting, somebody was starting to make like snowballs and throw them at kids. And one of them said, hey, not everybody likes that. Let's not do that today. <laughs> and it was just, it's amazing how kids can start to internalize those things and say, mm -hmm. hey, this happened to me and I didn't like it. I bet there's other kids who don't like it. And it stopped and it really just switched the narrative. So there's so many kids from five to 20 that are able to do these things and learn. And our job is to really support them through that process. Mm -hmm. I love that eraser analogy too. I really think it like in, encompasses the whole conversation we had today of as humans, we're going to make mistakes and we can, we can choose what our, what our erase is going to look like, whether we're going to erase the whole thing, erase partial part of it, erase none of it. And then what is our move when we erase it? How is our next step going to be and how have we changed and what have we learned to do better the next time? As we wrap up our podcast today as parents and educators, what are the things that we can do to continue to model appropriate behavior and or kindness as we move into the holiday season? It's winter and we have a lot going on right now with it getting dark earlier. How can we just really, as all humans, just really model that appropriate behavior and show kindness to our students and also to other adults? I think I have a, a variety of things. I think about my own kids when they come home and they might tell me a story about something that happens. I'll ask questions and I'll validate. And then we'll have a conversation of what is it that we can be thankful for? Because we don't mm -hmm. know what's happening in their life. So something bad may have happened and we can't control that. So how can we go back and say, it's okay. We made a mistake. How do we play differently then together? So just empowering your kids to say, I'm grateful because I have these things and I don't know what else is going on in this other student's life. Just like as adults, we do, right? Somebody might mm -hmm. have a bad day and sometimes we just might have to walk away. Talk about it. I think the reality is, is talking about it and really validating it because regardless of what the situation was, feelings are valid and it's okay mm -hmm. to say, I'm sorry that made you sad. How can we fix it? How can I make you feel better? How can I support you? Asking those questions, I think, see something, say something. That's a tagline that I think all too often we forget because we assume that people have seen and taken action when 
often we might not have seen, so there's nothing that we can do about it. Uh, recognize and celebrate those differences. I think that we are all different. We all have something different to share. My daughter said that there's a student who doesn't um, speak any English in her class. And I said, so how do you share things with each other? And she came home and said that um, the child was able to sing happy birthday in her native language. She, so she came home and started singing it. She's like, isn't that the greatest? <laughs> yes. So it's just experiencing things through the light of kids to say, it's okay. Mm -hmm. And we can be friends with everybody regardless. And they might teach us something that we mm -hmm. don't know. And then just working together. So I think making sure that if something does happen, making sure you're communicating because we want to follow up. We want everyone to want to come to school. School's a really important place for everybody to learn and become their best selves. Well said, Mary. I think the only thing that I would add, and you've already touched on it as well, is just that role modeling and even modeling the language for them, like that student on the hill throwing, you know, telling them not to throw snowballs, like that student probably heard an adult in their life say that similar thing in a different situation so that that student was able to apply it when they needed it, right? And so the more we're able to model the language that can be used and like you said, dig deeper and ask those questions so that we're validating our children and letting them know that we are safe people that they can talk to and they can trust that we will support them and problem solve with them, I think is really important as well. But just being, you know, trying to be that consistent, calm person in somebody's life so that they're able to bring some of those situations to you and work and work through it with you. And I found even, um, as I mentioned earlier, my children don't always tell the whole story or it's hard for them to even share anything, let alone all of the parts of a story. So what we've done too is uh, read some books where it gives some scenarios or some hypothetical situations that maybe they have not gone through yet or maybe have gone through but have not articulated it to me um, to just read those books or just talk through like, what would you do in that situation um, is another thing that we've done in our house to really try to, to encourage the conversation and the, and the words and the language to go along with things a lot of times that maybe you don't know at five or eight or 12 or 15, even exactly how you're feeling on the inside. You just know that you feel icky and something's not sitting right with you. I love that you said that there was a series of books called Dinosaurs and it talks about somebody being too bossy and somebody telling to, on somebody too much. And it really just teaches the skills. And my kids used to love to read those every single day. And they'd be like, you are doing that. And they'd call each other out in it or be like, oops, I just did that. Because books are a really cool way for kids to be able to reflect. And it, it opens up that conversation easier to say, what does this look like for you? I just want to say thank you to both of you for the work that you do each and every day to support students and staff and our community and for taking the time to be here today to share a little bit of the work you do and the amazing things that are happening each and every day um, with our schools and our community. So thank you so much for being here. I, I love the analogy about the eraser. I'm going to start using that as my own, Mary. And um, just the importance of modeling good behavior as adults and really practicing it even in our own lives. So when it does happen with our children that we have the, we also have the language to be able to say, oh, I'm not feeling good or that hurt, um, I think is really important to remember also. So thank you so much for being here today. Thanks, Liz.
Yeah, thank you. This was great. Thank you for listening. This resource is produced as a partnership between the Anoka Hennepin Parent Engagement Program and Student Services Department. Be sure to check out additional episodes in the Parent Engage 360 podcast series. For more information or to share feedback, visit ahschools.us slash parentengage360.